Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Conspiranormal. Uh, welcome, guys, back to Conspiranormal. I am here by my lonesome, but uh, Serpiel is working on his project, and I have with me a couple of my favorite people in the paranormal, I guess, podcast YouTube channel world. Uh, Jenny Ashford and Tom Ross from the 13 O'Clock Podcast. Guys, welcome. Guys yeah, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. It's been far too long. Yeah, we just have fun on Conspiracy Normal. Yeah, man. we yeah. love to see you, Adam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy uh, hanging out with you guys. And uh, Jenny, it was awesome to have you as part of Strange Realities last year. And Yeah, that was, super, that was super, super fun. I was uh, so nervous, but it was so fun. <laughs> we got to have you on our show one of these days. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. 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 I, I, we would absolutely love to. I mean, Sergio would love to, to, to hang out as well. Um, okay. I listen to you guys a lot. <laughs> yeah, you were telling me. It's, it's, funny. <laughs> it's, it's basically like my go to like show now. If I just kind of want to just like, you know, just just listen to the stream of consciousness stuff. Yeah. That's, that's what I listen to. It's like I still I still love Soraya. I still love Strange Familiars, but like 13 o'clock yeah. definitely is of my three top podcasts right now that I listen to. I can't and, figure out if it's stream of consciousness or stream of bullshit. Well, you know what? I'm always like checking the length of time. 
yeah. on the shows, and I'm always like, okay, they went for five hours. I think oh, the, we were loaded. I <laughs> think I think the longest I think the longest that you guys have gone was six hours. I think so. I think. We might have. Yeah, I, 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 I remember a couple of shows. We like kept the stream kept dropping. So we didn't, you know, and we kept getting like more and more inebriated as the night went on. Yeah. And I kept getting more and more annoyed because I had to keep like restarting the laptop because we kept losing the live stream. And I think when I edited all the audio together, I think it was like six something hours. A lot of times what will happen is we'll have like a half hour to an hour of just warming up before the show even starts. Yeah, before yes. we even get and, into and that. We get complaints on that. Some people are like, could you please put the time and when you're going to talk about Not as about many it? as we used to. And, and I like, think man, everyone's kind of down with it now. I'm like, this is not how this show goes. Okay. <laughs> well, Tom, you, you, you typify it as like a 1970s uh, yeah. talk 1970s talk show. It's like Charo would show up and then Orson, exactly. Wales, Orson Wales comes in. and Yeah. Everybody Oliver Reed every, comes in drunk uh, and punches somebody. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's getting loaded. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, that's what I grew up with. It was a mixture of 1970s and 1990s Howard Stern. Hollywood Squares. Yeah, yeah, yeah Hollywood yeah. Squares. That's the way, that's, it was long form, long form entertainment. It's you're listening to this shit because you got time to burn up. You're working or you're driving in a truck or something. You know what I mean? There's a reason why you're listening. It's not just for the information. It's because you're doing something else usually. Yeah. Know. And that's the thing with me. Like I work a yeah. delivery job. So anytime that I'm out working, it's like, it's like, it's perfect because I could just put it on and like, listen and like five hours have gone by. And like my yeah. shift is done. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And so, we don't even, I mean, I have notes obviously for the yeah. show and I do kind of get upset when I can't, when I didn't cover everything I wanted to cover, yeah. but I don't know. It's it's just kind of like I like the tangents. It's more I like the looser format. Um, and a lot of people seem to like those as well, because especially now that we started doing the live streams, yeah. I kind of feel like we get sidetracked more often by people in the comments yeah. asking us questions or going off on tangents and then us having to like what's what's funny is and a lot of people aren't seeing it if they're not watching the show live going on tangents. That's usually when all the super chats start coming in. So that's a lot of the a lot of the money comes from our sidetracks. Yeah. Because they have to comment on the crazy shit that we that we <laughs> were sidetracked <laughs> on. So I kind of understand it. Um, I know that they want to know about the subject, but that 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 spur of the moment sidetracking and just fucking cutting up, they they seem to love that, you know. So I, I can understand that's the attraction of the show. I mean, if they really want to know about the shit, they can find it out on you, you on Wikipedia. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, the thing about it, I do like to get information in there, yeah. but right. in a lot of ways, I think the information is just kind of like, a, you know, like a spur for us to discuss other stuff, other issues stuff like or... around it. You right. know what I mean? So I think right. it's like kind of the start of a discussion more yeah. than just kind of giving out like right. facts that you can find. Yeah, out yeah there. it's not just the facts. We're going to talk about certain possibilities. I, I think that you, uh, yeah, I think that you guys are good at doing that and just like, you know. Going off on the tangents, but then also bringing bringing it back in, and and all and all this type of thing. And you guys are doing like several different things right now. So yeah, I mean, Jenny, can you kind of take us through like, because you have the main show that you guys have done since the end of 2016. By the way, I'm a fan since episode one. By the way, 
Um, because yeah. I mean, I had you, Jenny, on and and Tom. I had you guys on the show like way before. Yeah, yeah not too yeah. long after started. we started. Yeah. And it, and it yeah. was it was. Um, well, I had you on before because yeah, of Soraya, right. because I'd heard you on Where Did the Road Go, and yeah. I got you on to talk about the Poltergeist book, and then yeah, we talked about the crime, the true crime books, and stuff like that. But like. Jenny, so like you guys do like, I mean, it's like what four or five different shows that you guys are basically doing right now. And some of them you're actually doing like live on YouTube, like just like every single week. Most of them are live. Yeah. yeah. We just, well, just because we discovered we liked that better. Um, yeah. Other than, so we just started out with the main podcast, which, like I said, we did a lot more kind of paranormal unsolved mysteries and then kind of went more into true crime, although we're kind of getting back into more unsolved mysteries, creepy disappearances, stuff like that. We do that. That's a live stream and that's on Friday nights. And then we also do, let's see, we do movie reviews, um, new movies, old movies, whatever we feel like doing. We do several of those a week. Um, I do two movie reviews a week. Those are usually recorded, not book live. Reviews. I do a book review yeah. one every week. That's usually recorded, not live. And once a week we do like a talking about food, like a food show. Yeah. Like a, it's called on the menu. On the menu. We just started yeah, that just one started not too long that, ago. Yeah. Yeah. Do, and, you, do you like the food? Do you like the food stuff? I haven't listened to those. Okay. Right. I, I just, I pretty much just noticed that you guys did that today because you guys yeah. post like every day and I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> I think we only have five of those for right yeah, now. Yeah. We just started it like yeah. not like a couple weeks ago. I got a survival, a survival angle on them too. Like <laughs> stuff. These are things that you can make out of shelf stable stuff in case civilization collapses. You can still feed yourself. That, that that's, that's a part of the angle too, sure. and starting right. with the very very basics first. Of course, of course. Yeah, and I'm not. I, I can't teach that subject just in an hour. I can right. only show you where to find it. Just a quick overview and why you want might want to learn it. That's that's what I'm talking. That's what that show's about. Right. Well, because we cut up. It's funny. It's fun too. Well, because yeah. we used. To, I mean, we went off on food tangents like yeah. so many times, like on the regular show. Um, that first we had the idea, well, let's do a cookbook, which is actually almost done. Yeah, it's almost done. Got to take pictures. And then you were like, well, why don't we just do like one stream a week instead of doing all the movie reviews that we've been doing? It's like we could do one food show a week. And actually the other day we were thinking about doing a music show too. Yeah. Like maybe switching that out and like doing, an like talking of like an album review or something like yeah. that. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. It's like we have so many. It's like as it is now, it's like I only the only days we don't live stream are Thursdays and Saturdays. And even those days, I have other recorded things going on. And and, and our shows will constantly evolve. They they have always evolved. And everybody's shows constantly evolve over time. Yeah. Certain lines will be dropped and certain things will be added depending on what the hell's going on at the time. This is you know episode. I mean? This is episode three sixty four. I can definitely tell you, I have involved in a lot of different ways since I started this. I, I've been doing this almost. It's been over nine years now. Okay, <laughs> damn, so, yeah, a lot longer than us. Then. Longer been, than us. Yeah. It's been. A, it's 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 been a it's been a pretty long time. So, and like so, the you guys do um, the more like kind of more recent movie reviews. And then yeah. you guys do like the older movie reviews, which I love a lot of those. And I, I've actually, I've gotten like really good suggestions of movies to watch from you guys. So thank you for that. And then Jenny, you're kind of doing some other movies that you're talking about as well, like on your own too. Um, yeah, I could, I started doing that because, well, I started doing the book reviews because I had a bunch of requests for doing, it's like, 
you know, why don't you, uh, you know, we want some horror novel reviews and you read a lot of horror. So why don't you do that? And I hadn't read a lot of hor- of recent horror fiction. And I was like, yeah, I should really get back into that. So I bought like $200 worth of books of Amazon. And like, then I dug out a bunch of old ones that I had and I started reviewing those. And then I was kind of like, well, shit, uh, I have all of these horror movies too, that I want to see that you don't really give a shit about seeing. Yeah. And I was like, why don't I do a couple of those like a week as well? Yeah. And just so I can get even more and people send us movies all the time too. That's why we started doing like on the matinee live streams. We used to be really stringent about this has to be like a new movie that only came out like in the past Mm -hmm. year or two, because when we first started it, we were going to the theater and we were filming it like, you know, streaming it from the theater. And, you know, we don't do that anymore, obviously. Um, so then we just said, well, we're going to watch new movies on streaming. But then after a while, people kept sending us movies that were only a couple years old or maybe like a little bit years, you know, a few years old. And then I was just kind of like, we don't have time to like do all of these movies if we're only doing new ones. So we just decided, screw it. We're just going to do whatever movie we feel like doing on the live streams. And then we still do the movie retrospective, which is recorded once a week, which the patrons vote on. And we still do whatever. If you send it, send me, send us the movie. We're going to eventually talk. Eventually about it. we'll yeah. get to it. Yeah. yeah so that's it might a, take a long time. We have a pile. Right. We got a pile. That's the, the other thing. Like, like people actually are so involved with you guys show that they like, they send you guys movies. Blu-rays. Yeah. Like, like actually yeah. send movie, physical. Yeah, movies we have a you. big pile. That's because I put my foot down on that shit. Okay. <laughs> I said, if you want me to review that. a movie, send me a goddamn Blu-ray and I'll do it. I'll, I prefer Blu-ray. <laughs> if, you can, if, you, if you can't afford it, you send me a DVD. I'll do that too. Cause I want my own. I already had a big collection of physical medium. You know what I mean? Or f- visual media. I'm, I'm already kind of loaded. I just, it's, I, it's, I, it's okay. It's okay, Tom. It's you, right. you too. Okay. All right. We're all going to be, yeah, we're, drink, we're drinking, we're drinking, um, pinnacle, uh, pinnacle whipped cream, vodka and orange juice. Is it whipped cream? I didn't yeah, think we whipped cream. cream. So it's not as a 50, 50 bar so, or a cream. Was, Tom, you, you haven't made any, you haven't made any caparina for, uh, no, not in a while. I don't for, like caparinas that much. I like caiparosca. You know the difference? No, <laughs> is. Uh, I was around for that culture for years, and I don't know the difference. Yeah. Caipirinha is made with cachaça. Caiparosca oh, yeah, yeah. is made with yeah. vodka. Okay, and and for for you guys that don't know anything about Brazil, Brazil or Brazilian that culture, must be take, a Sao Paulo thing. Yeah, well, caipirinha was cachaça was cheap. Vodka was a little more expensive. All right, and what you do is you take half of a of a of a of a, of a Brazilian lemon, which is green, you take half of that. You put it in the bottom of a bottle, put in a shot or two shots, depending on how of vodka, and about three teaspoons of sugar, and crush it all together. All right, and then pour ice over it, and that's that's a that's a caipirosca. That sounds pretty good, actually. They're strong and sweet and lemony. Yeah, just for the audience, I like, the like sound of that. yeah. Tom lived in Brazil for like uh, what was it, a couple of years. Uh, I think young? it was four years, four years. But my parents lived there for twelve years, and I was I kept going back over there to visit them. Yeah, and you yeah, speak, so and you, speak and flor- yeah. you speak fluent Portuguese. Yeah, I speak Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Portuguese, speaking Portuguese. Yeah, because you went to school there. So went that's to like, half that's, of my high school. I went to. There. That's like Tom and I's bond because, like, I my ex wife was Brazilian and. Mm-hmm. I've been to Brazil a couple of times. I, I never lived there. I never lived there. 
It's fun to live there, but you have to have to accept the limitations of living there. It was an enclosed border, so you really couldn't get anything from the United States. Nothing imported. It was all just Brazilian products. And they were kind of expensive and third rate. A lot of their products, but their food was fantastic. I agree. (coughs) Brazil's an interesting place. Yeah. I I, I can tell you that. I've been to, uh, she was from Goiânia. So I've been there. I've been to Brasilia. Yeah. I've been to Natal. That's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, <coughs> yeah. Goiânia is pretty much like the wild west of Brazil. And yeah. I've been through Sao Paulo airport and through Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. The, the big I've, cities I've are there. wild. You know what I mean? They can get a lot of trouble there, but you have a lot of fun. Uh, the interior <laughs> of Brazil and where you're talking about. Yeah. Is, that's also fun. It's a different kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> I like the south of Brazil, too. Uh, yeah, like, like like Rio Grande do Sul and Santa Catarina. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like little Germany, you know. I yeah, actually, yeah, I, yeah. I can I, I can fit in anywhere in Brazil. Um, you know, I, I I'm a white guy, of course. You know, I mean, they have a lot of white people, even in um even in São Paulo. But the more south you go, the kind of like the whiter they go. So the yeah. more I just kind of blend in, they wouldn't <laughs> believe that I was from America. They're like, no, I'm from the United States. I got I got a funny story for you. Like um when I was married to her and the second time that we went, we went to Natal. Um, but you know where that is, right? That's like Mm -hmm. at the very like tip, like the little nose part of Brazil. Yeah. And we went there and like everybody from Brazil comes there. You know, it's like the big, it's like one of the it's like that and like Cassifi and like those areas. (laughs) And um there was a guy like, you know, singing on like with the guitar or whatever. Yeah. And he calls this dude like he's singing to us and he calls this dude like North Americano. Yeah. And North he was Americano. he was Brazilian, but he yeah. was like red haired, a red haired guy. But he was some from Sao Paulo. Yeah. And like my, my ex-wife laughs and she's like, no, he's the American pointing at me. Yeah. and i and i would get that actually when i was coming back from that trip and i was in sao paulo like they looked at me as i'm getting on the airplane and they were asking me for like the brazilian id and they were like talking speaking to me in portuguese and i was like uh english like i understood (laughs) a little bit of portuguese but they there's all these and they're and and he was like yeah go ahead go ahead it's like yeah yeah. They thought I was Brazilian. Like, yeah, that's funny because, uh, you know, like you come to the United States and they think every, anything in South America must be like Mexico. Yeah. And like, no, no, the, no. The people in Natal are like darker skinned people, like yeah. black hair. That, yeah, they have that part of the country. You keep going south, though, it, they just get wider and wider and wider. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> more down to, you're in Germany. Until the more clear. the more European, yeah. the more yeah. your the more European immigration is Sao yeah. Paulo, yeah, and like Santa Catarina and um, Rio Grande do Sul and those right. those states, and um, I know there's there's actually a listener to Conspiracy Normal that actually lives there, yeah, and um, well, you start getting down to like Uruguay, Paraguay, places in Argentina and yeah. in uh, Chile. And um, you start seeing names like McHenry and stuff, oh, Mick names, mm-hmm. lots and lots of Irish immigration. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of Chile is a lot of Santiago was like uh, significantly fuck Irish. 
yeah. I mean, significantly, like 30% Irish. A lot and of people Americans, don't realize it. A lot of Americans don't realize that about like the southern part of Brazil yeah. and Argentina and Chile. I think one of the Argentine, one of the Argentine um, uh, liberators, he's actually, his name was O'Higgins. Okay. Yeah, O'Higgins, yeah. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, they don't understand it. <clears throat> right. Right. And then, These like, like uh, Irish, Irish people that had immigrated to the southern part of South America, yeah. and spoke Spanish. And then, when um, uh, General Lee and uh, all the Confederate generals, when they fled the United States after the Civil War, they all went to the south of Brazil. Yeah, there's the um, down there. Yeah, in Brazil, there's the Os Confederados. Yeah, I, I'm trying to pronounce that to impress you. Uh, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. The Confederates. But, yeah. Yeah. Like they Those actually there were actually Confederate like yeah, Confederate been, soldiers or whatever that actually after the Civil War yeah. immigrated to Brazil. So yeah, a, lot of people, speak, a lot of people don't know that history. Yeah. They still speak English down there. They got a real song, Southern accent. Yeah. There's, they, yeah. They, 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 they're, they're like on a reservation. They're treated kind of like an, like Indians. And I do. Brazilian, they're like protected. I knew a Brazilian guy named Washington. Yeah. But like, like my ex's brother was named, was yeah. named Wellington. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it isn't as quite as cut and dry as like Americans think that it is. Yeah. They think everything's Mexico. Right. Yeah. Right. No. It's just like anywhere else. If you've never been there, it you just seems know. like, well, you see everything is like homogenous yeah. because you've never been, but I, you know, particularly, you know, the U S which is so kind of touted for being like, Oh, the immigration, everybody immigrates here, but people immigrate other places too, yeah. and have done for hundreds and hundreds. Of yeah. Years. And, and, and most of the <clears throat> Japanese that left Japan are in Brazil. They're in a place called Liberdade. The largest, the largest uh, population of Japanese people outside of Japan is Sao Paulo. In Bra- is in Brazil. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a neighborhood called Liberdade. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 and they all dance really samba. History. You can go on, you can go on Facebook, oh, you can go on YouTube, and go and you just go Brazilian Japanese girls samba carnival dancing, and you'll see them. They got all these little Japanese girls out there dressed up in the carnival outfits, booties hanging out, dancing <laughs> like any other Brazilian girl. There was uh, there was a Japanese soldier, one of the guys that actually. Um, he was in the Phil- he was one of these guys that was in the Philippines that didn't believe the war was over. And yeah, they, did, they three didn't get, of them. They didn't get him out until like 1967. Yeah, he went back to Japan, and he just could not live there. Yeah, it was just so different from what, <laughs> what he was the used hell to. Happened here? So he ended up <laughs> he ended up immigrating to Brazil, and he lived there. Yeah, didn't surprise me. Yeah, that's just like it's so funny to think about. I mean, you know funny odd because like i said you know, people don't i guess they don't really consider that like just people have been moving around for hundreds and hundreds of years brazil is another version of uh, brazil is another version of the united states it's just it's it's, it's it's a it's in a parallel universe <clears throat> i agree yeah. with that parallel assessment. universe united states jenny <laughs> yeah. G- G- would you ever go I would like to go. I don't know if, well, I've never been, so I don't know if I could live there. I could probably, I could I, live anywhere. I wouldn't go now. I don't I'm, think I'm going to. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, but I, I'm going to tell you like when you go, like your culture shock is going to be through the roof. I thought mm-hmm. I could deal with it, but like, I was like totally shocked by the way I, that it is down there. My friends that I, okay. All the girls I grew up with all live here in Florida now. Yeah, Orlando actually has a large yeah. Brazilian population. Yeah, 
because their families evacuated them. It got worse and worse as time went on. And uh, evidently, it's a lot like Colombia right now. You mm-hmm. know, lots and lots of violent crime and that the, the economy is just trashed. Yeah. yeah, totally trashed. There, there was one time that I went with her to this like black marketplace in the middle mm-hmm. of Guyana. And she looks at me and she's like, do not speak English here. Yeah. <laughs> do, not, do not open your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, and she was like deadly serious because like you could get kidnapped. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think I'd go back just because uh, the economy is so bad right now. I say it's pretty dangerous right now. Yeah. It's not the same Brazil I grew up in. Yeah. Cause I mean, that was a while. That back. was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you were there, Tom, like right at the end of the military dictatorship, right? Yeah. But all my friends who are still there said that that was the heyday of Brazil. They loved it. We all, we all had a great time. Yeah. The military That's, dictatorship, you, when you say military dictatorship in the United States, that has bad connotations, but they had a good dictatorship. Um, the reason why the dictatorship happened is because their politicians were so fucked up. They were just robbing the country blind. Nothing got done. The military dictatorship was not violent, and it di- it built all the roads. It, it achieved everything that Brazil is known for. The, the dictatorship did that. Democracy can't work in Brazil. No, their culture is just not set up for that. Yeah, that was the period between 1964 and 1985. Yeah. When they transferred, there was the coup in 64, yeah. and then they transferred to a, a civilian government in 85. Yeah, and then and then all the thievery started again. And yeah, the military stole, but they didn't steal. They didn't steal as much as the yeah. as the as the civilians did. Yeah, uh, corrupt and, corruption is like incredibly endemic. Yeah, right. Well, Which, it's kind of it's from my understanding, it's mostly just kind of like understood. Everyone's just kind of like, well, that's the way shit works. There. Yeah, everything is bribery, and everything <laughs> is just you know double dealing, and it's like ancient Rome. Yeah, mm. Bra- Brazilians, I love them. I do. But like they could, they are they they could be some of the worst people to each other. They're dishonest like, too, yeah, you know, very yeah, dishonest. Yeah. Look, um, Amer- Americans say things about America that just, I just fucking laugh because they don't understand how bad human nature can get. You know, Brazilians are good people, but they're ruthless. They and very very selfish. I and, was married to one Tom. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they're very much like for for you American nerds who like Star Trek. Brazil is the is the United States in the mirror universe. Uh-huh. You know, with, <laughs> with evil Spock and you know, and all it's the mirror universe. Right. Mirror right. The, right there they're, they're, they're always trying to like one up each other. Games and, upon games, yeah. and it's like ancient Rome. It's like it's just <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah, they are they're like I've actually Tom, I've actually thought about that. Like they are the Romans. Yeah. Like even yes. da- even even down to the names. Yes, it's like Spartacus. Did you ever see the show I was Spartacus? Say, I it's think like that's that. why you like the show Spartacus. Yeah. So much. Not, oh, yeah. I, was like, I, like the, I grew up here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. lie, <laughs> cheat, steal, murder. Yeah, what? this is what. Yeah, this is how it is. That was what, a good what show. age? Yeah. What age were you? What ages were you? Uh, I guess I was about 13, between 13 and 17, I guess. Okay, that's pretty formative. That's yeah. a pretty formative age to be down there. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it was, you know, I'm, uh, it's, uh, it's not a zero trust society, but it's a low trust society. 
you know, and it's honor based. I've heard that the driving down there is yeah. horrifying. Yeah. Oh. I have this great book. It's called Traffic, and it's and it's I about driving customs yeah, like yeah. all over the world. Yeah, and I particularly remember. I should probably read it to you. I was, I particularly remember the uh, the chapter that was about Brazil because they were just talking about. Yeah. Why do we even have like traffic rules? Because no, they nobody follows them, really. <laughs> no, I mean, no. They just kind of do whatever the hell they it, want it, to it's, do. It, it's it's not a zero trust society, but it is a low trust society. It is not based in laws. The laws are just window dressing bullshit. All right. It's based in honor, very much like a mafia. Just because something is illegal doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means that you're going to have to bribe somebody to get it done. And that's how the, it's called Jechinu, the little way. There's a little way to do so. Jechinu, you know, Jechinu, <laughs> it's got to be a little way. Like machine guns, you can't have machine guns. But if you bribe the right guy, then yeah, you can have a then machine you gun. Can you can have machine guns. You yeah. can do whatever you want. You can, as long as, as, long right as you got to grease the right problem. Right. Sure. And, and that's just the way everything <laughs> is. Yeah, you can't kill somebody, but there's, you can. There's ways you to can. Well, <laughs> you know, there's when I. Yeah. When I got off, Jenny, when I got off the, when I got out of the airport and like Goiania is not Sao Paulo. It is not Rio. It is a city of a, probably about a million people. Okay. So it's, it's fairly small in Brazilian scale. And when I've got out of the airport, we get in the taxi and this taxi is going, I was white knuckling that son of a bitch all the way to the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Every talks about that. Scary. I would probably be horrified. Well, I can't. Well, hell, man. It's like we drive on I 4 in Orlando, and I can't even take that because everyone down here drives like a crazy person. Yeah. It's funny. Every American mentions the driving there and like the taxis. And I just, man, it it doesn't even phase me. I don't even realize it. (laughs) It's just the way it was. It's the way I, you know, I grew up with that. And I just, it's funny that never stood out to me. Yeah. But well, like yeah. I said, it is even as, as much as people complain about, and it's not everywhere in the U S obviously, but in Florida, because we have so many people here, that are from other places bringing drive their, like they here. Well, of. bringing their own driving customs from other places yeah. to yeah. central Florida, yeah. like with all the tourists and, you know, all the people yeah. that have moved here and stuff. So everyone like, so you're kind of taking your life in your hands a little bit. Well, um, you know, no, this is nothing compared to Brazil. But yeah, but nothing. that's yeah. What right. me reading about Brazilian traffic and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, that's nothing like. It's real twisty roads, very high speeds, shitty cars usually, and it's motorcycles weaving in and out, in and out, like, in yeah. and, and, <laughs> and I don't know how it is in Sao Paulo and and Rio, but in Goiânia, Goiânia is a planned city, so yeah. there's like a ton of roundabouts. everywhere yeah traffic and these motor these little scooters are just like you know and then you got some guy that's like you know pulling this cart with like vultures all over it (laughs) yeah oh my god i had fun there though i'm telling you i I, I can see like why you growing up there like you said during your formative years yeah i can see why, why why you're the way you are yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not talk, supposed to do this shit, but you can. Talk, You're not talk, supposed to, but you can. Tom Tom grew up in the mirror universe. Yeah. 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 It's a it's That's a good it's, way to put it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy place, but I'm gonna yeah. tell you, it's also a really beautiful place too. Yeah. 
like the best just, natural resources in the you, world. You can literally walk outside and yes. there's a mango tree, like just full of mangoes. I mean, it's, that's, it's, yeah. that's amazing. It's, 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 it's a very beautiful place. Also, by the way, Goyanya, Tom, I'm going to see if you know this. Goyanya, where my ex is from, uh, was the site of the uh, largest um, radioactive disaster in the Western Hemisphere. I didn't, I, I didn't know about that. When was that? 1988. Ooh, I'm going to have to look that up. We, maybe we can do a show about that. Oh, yeah, well, it's you, called. Oh, yeah. oh, you know why I didn't know about that? I was I, I wasn't there at that time. So what happened was yeah. there was like so all these guys like looking for scrap metal and there was an old hospital that had closed. Okay. And there was like this literally Soviet era because it was from the Soviet Union x-ray machine that these two guys broke open. And they pulled out this blue substance that was like cesium or strontium, okay, yeah. something that's like really yeah. highly fucking radioactive. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And they took it home. Yeah. And like the little kids were playing with it. And like Gosh, one yeah. of the guys was like painting his chest with it. Yeah. Oh, no. And like there. So then everybody, of course, gets radiation poisoning and starts dying. Yeah. And there were just like, there was a few people that did, but like they had to, the Brazilian government had to go in there and just like close it down and like bulldoze yeah. the whole entire section. Damn. And whenever, whenever I was there in <laughs> 2007, whenever I was there, my ex-wife was like, we were in the taxi and she's like, you remember what I was talking to you about the, the, uh, the, the nuclear disaster. She was like, that's where it was. And they were like building a mall over it. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> See, I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Was there, yeah. I think that we haven't done any shows about that kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. We it's, probably- yeah. It's the considered the greatest radioactive disaster in the Western Hemisphere. Wow. See, I didn't know anything about that. Just from a couple of dudes breaking open a x-ray machine. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, don't those guys feel bad? Wait, are they, are they, they're dead, right? Did they die? I'm not. I, I'd have to go back and look at it. There's a, there's a Wikipedia article that you can find about it. Oh my I'll, god! I'll, okay, I'll shoot, I'll shoot it over to you. But see, I'm finding out new stuff like that all the time. I I know that there were a few. It wasn't like massive amount of people. Yeah, but it was just enough to like just like co- like contaminate the area. So well, I think yeah. Well, and, and the thing that's kind of maybe notable about it is that it was just a couple of dudes being like, "Hey, we're gonna steal some shit." You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, some extra food like like board. Chernobyl was the biggest in the world, right? Okay, and then you had something before that. You had like Three Mile Island. Yeah, remember that? That was like, but it didn't actually melt down. So because of that, the Goyanya incident, I think is what it's called, is considered the largest nuclear event in the in Western Hemisphere. Wow. Yeah. So I think we got the show warmed up. Let's go ahead. I knew knew there was something wrong with my ex-wife. Yeah. Well, that explains yeah. it right there. Exactly. What's the first topic you want to get on? Bro? All right, so <laughs> let's get let's get on to uh, the, the, yeah, let's get off Brazil. Yeah, I, do, I love I do love talking to you about it, Tom. Because and the audience probably it. snoring. Yeah, <laughs> except for that one guy that lives in Brazil. 
Yeah. That, that one uh, guy is like really, really Yeah, stoked. that one guy that was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here's one I don't think we've talked about, Jenny. Uh, maybe we have. I don't think we have the solder children disappearance. Yeah. That's it's a weird. weird yeah, one. I wrote about it in my book, and it's like I was amazed that when I looked back through all of our episodes, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that we didn't actually do a show about that. Yeah. And I had put it in the Patreon poll a bunch of times, but it had lost. But then finally, it's weird. I, I keep putting like the same topics in the Patreon polls. And it's weird which ones I think, you know, we don't have that many patrons. So it's interesting how some of them, nobody votes for it for like the first three times, but then everybody votes for it like the fourth time I put it in there. But for whatever reason, everybody picked that one. Yeah. So that was like, that happened back in the forties. And it's one of those cases where they don't actually know if the kids died in, uh, you know, the fire or if they were kidnapped and they lived out their lives somewhere else. You remember that one, right? Yeah, I remember that one. I think they died in the fire. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I could go either way on that. I remembered the show, and I remembered based on what you told me, that I think that they died in the fire, and it was a real bad investigation. They didn't go through the, they didn't go through, they didn't go through the ashes and the debris of that house very well. It was a long time ago. Now, I do kind of feel depends on who did the investigation. And plus, I I do kind of feel like I do definitely feel like there was some kind of I mean, I do think the fire was deliberately set for sure. Yeah. Um, You know, they were supposed to be in the top floor, right? Yeah, it was. It happened on Christmas Eve and it was this family. And, you know, they were um, Italian immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. This was in Pennsylvania. Um, was it? It was like I feel like it was somewhere like that, or West Virginia, or somewhere. Oh like yeah, that. It, it is. It's West Virginia. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was West Virginia, and they and uh, you know, they were kind of um, George Sauter was kind of like he owned a trucking company, I think, and he had a bunch of kids, him and his wife, and they were kind of you know upper middle class, and they had all these kids. One of them was away in the military, but the other kids were at home, and it was Christmas Eve, and. They had been getting, I guess, like all this weird stuff had happened to them prior, but they didn't really think about it at the time. So it's Christmas Eve, like some of the kids were at home and they wanted to stay up late because they're like, oh, can we open some of our presents and we'll stay down here or whatever. And then so the parents go up to bed. Some of the other kids go up to bed and then the mom gets woken up by a phone call in the middle of the night, which was kind of a weird phone call. That was like some woman asking for somebody that wasn't there. I don't know if that had anything to do with what happened subsequently, Mm -hmm. but it woke her up. And then while she was awake, she noticed that the kids weren't downstairs anymore. Um, So she presumed that they had gone upstairs to bed because their rooms were like, there were two rooms like up in the, on the attic level or, you know, upstairs. And she, she didn't really think about it, but then she was kind of like, man, they left the door unlocked and they left all the lights on and all this other shit. Like I told them like not to do that. So she just kind of went around and did that and then tried to go back to bed. But then she heard something and she said it sounded like something hitting the roof and rolling down the slope of the roof. And she didn't think about it. Like I said, at the time, maybe she just thought it was a rock or whatever. And then she goes back to sleep. But then like half an hour later, she wakes up and she smells smoke. And the house is on fire. Might have been a Molotov cocktail. Um, I kind of feel like it was because they did have some witnesses after that said that they saw somebody throwing what looked like Molotov cocktails at the house. And the house burned down in, I think, with 45 minutes. And there wasn't hardly anything left of the house, yeah, right? That's, that's the, really quick. Yeah, the phone line had been cut. There was other weird shit like 
um, you know, they, they got some of the kids out of the house, but then they're outside. And then George, the dad is like, um, Hey, you know, where are the other kids? They must still be up in their room. He's like, well, I have a ladder. It's always, you know, propped up against the side of the house, you know, so I can climb up and get them. And then he goes around to the side of the house and the ladder isn't there. And he's like, okay, well, that's not right because the ladder's always there. So he tried to kind of climb up the side of the house and like break the window and cut his arm open, but they couldn't get the kids out and the house just completely burned down. They actually got to a neighbor's house because their phone line had been cut. They got to a neighbor's house, called the fire department, but the fire chief was like, well, I'm the only one here because it's Christmas Eve and I don't know how to drive the fire truck, which I'm like, okay, dude, whatever. And um, he, we have to wait until somebody comes in that knows how to drive the fire truck. So by the time the fire truck got there, it was like two or three hours later. It was like 830 in the morning. Right. And the house had already burned down at that point. And so the parents assumed, well, you know, five of our kids are dead like they were all in the fire. And that's what they thought for a couple of days. I mean, so much so that a few days after the fire, George was like so upset. He's like, you know what? I'm just bulldozing this whole land and I'm going to build a memorial to the five kids on the property. But then the more they thought about it, the more they were like, um, you know, when they did the investigation, they didn't find any remains, Mm -hmm. which seems a little weird. I mean, five kids. Yes. You know, it, it was presumably like a really hot fire, but you know, the mom starts researching and she's like, you know, I've talked to a bunch of, um, you know, people that worked in crematoriums and stuff. And they're like, to burn a body, fire has to be like 2000 degrees for like two hours, right? Like to burn the body down to, and there's still bones left. Even at that point, they have to crush them up, like to make the cremains. There's going to be a lot of factors though, man. Well, that's the thing. And it's just kind of like, and then like later on, there were all these other witness statements that, oh, we saw a car like leaving from the thing that's had the kids in the back. There was the whole thing about um, the ladder being moved. They found it in a ditch later on. Um, Neither of his trucks would start because he thought, you know, he had like a, um, like a trucking business and he had two trucks and he's like, oh, I can, you know, pull the truck up under the window when the fire was still going and I could climb up onto it and get to the window and neither of the trucks would start, even though they'd been working the day before. So I definitely think whether or not the kids um, were in the fire or not, I think that's a separate question to whether the fire was deliberately set. Cause I totally think the fire was deliberately set. Right. There's a lot of factors with this. Okay. Yeah. The kids were pretty small. Some of them. They were on the top floor. There's better ventilation for a fire on the top floor. It can get hotter up there. And there's things that we don't know. Were the windows open on the bottom floor? What was the house actually made of? Where was the stairwell? Because if windows are open and the fire's in a certain place and the stairwell's in the right place, you get good ventilation. It ends up being like a bellows to where to get a really hot upstairs. And yeah, maybe it wouldn't totally reduce a body down to absolutely nothing. Maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe bones did survive. Maybe the problem was is in the arson investigation. Maybe they just didn't look hard enough for the bones. Maybe the guys who were running the investigation were fucked up. There's a lot of things we just don't know. Maybe they didn't want to find them. There's or maybe just, they did kind of find them and then just kind of like kicked them under the... So, so do, you think, do you think they just got like 
emulated like completely and there were really no there's no way of knowing because it was a long time ago we don't have all the details and i think too that some of the people like even the dude that was investigating the fire who was on like the coroner's jury when they were doing the investigation he might have been one of the guys because there was all these kind of threats against george Sauter in particular and they were thinking that maybe it had something to do with because the, you know George Sauter was very well known in the Italian American community in that uh, town, and for being really anti Mussolini, and it could have and there was a very pro Mussolini faction in the Italian American community also, and George, you know, from everything that I've read, didn't seem all that shy about sharing his views about it, and he had gotten threats about that before, so I kind of feel like maybe. Somebody, I don't even know if they intended to kill the kids or anything. They just wanted to burn his house down. Yeah. But I don't know. It just, it seems to me, I could go either way on it. Just I kind of, like, what what would have been the purpose of kidnapping the kids, though? See, that's a problem. And Like, what would they have done with them? How many of them were there again? Five, five of them. them. Five of how them. hard would it be to get five kids out of a house all together and spirit them away without being noticed, without making noise? It's it's more likely that a fire started in the house, probably by per- on purpose. The kids were killed in the fire, and for some reason or another, the the bones were not found. They're probably there, but they weren't found. It's so strange that you've got like like this weird like grudge that like follows from the old country, and it's yes. pl- and it's playing out in like this little town in West Virginia. It's that's that's the story of history, though. Yeah. Those old grudges between England and Ireland and Scotland and Germany were happening here and then it happening here in the United States. It's still in a way still right. kind of going on. Yeah. If you've seen gangs in New York, I mean, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that was, that was a great movie. The Civil War, you know, the or we, we call it a civil war. You know, it's actually the war between the states. There was a lot of ethnic component to that. The north, the northern people were more Anglo-Saxon. The southern people were more Celtic and Teutonic. So there was stuff that went back to to the old country. That was part of it. Yeah, that's it, one it, of the reasons why the southerners were always treated as second class. It it, it it translated. They were Irish. Yeah. you know, yeah. they tended to be Irish, and the and the northeast was tended to be Anglo. Weren't there so. sightings of the of the kids? There were. There were several sightings later. Um, like I, there was this one waitress in a diner, and she said that she saw five kids and she recognized them from the photos because obviously once the parents, you know, figured out, hey, there were no bodies found in the in the rubbish or whatever in the ruins. Um, the, you know, they, they had pictures of all their kids and they had billboards and all this other stuff. And this waitress came forward and said, she didn't really think about it at the time, but she's like, yeah, I saw these five kids with these, I think it was two or three people. Like, I think it was two dudes and like a woman or whatever. And that she had seen them having breakfast in the restaurant where she worked. She said the car had Florida plates, but you know, I, you know, I don't know. And, and like I said, there was a thing later where, I don't remember how many years later it was, but somebody sent them a photograph of Lewis Sauter. He was supposed to be one of the older kids. He was like a teenager. And 
obviously it's, you know, back then they couldn't determine if it was really him or not, but it did look like him. I got to say. And the weird thing about it is that, you know, that missing, uh, that missing people website, like the Charlie project or whatever, they Mm -hmm. still have a listing for Lewis Sauter. I don't think they have listings for the other kids though, but for him in particular, I guess just because of that one photograph that somebody sent that actually did kind of look like him, but sadly, like the, you know, George and Jenny Sauter are both dead, you know, at this point, and they never did find out what happened to their kids. And then the kids that survived, because one of the kids that survived, I think she was only three when the house burned down. I think her name was Sylvia. And, um, you know, so the, so the kids kind of carried it on, but they still don't know what happened to them. I mean, I agree with you that it's probably slightly more likely that they just died in the fire and either the investigation was bungled yeah, accidentally yeah, yeah. on yeah. purpose, whatever. I think it's the most likely. I mean, like I said, this was a long time ago. Yeah. It was yeah. in the forties. And, um, you know, so they probably weren't as stringent as they needed yeah, they to be, weren't. or maybe they didn't like this family. So they were just like, whatever, fuck it. Yeah. I think uh, that's probably what it was. So, you know, so they didn't worry too much about it. Um, you it know, it was something that if you were there and saw it happen, it wouldn't be <clears throat> mysterious. Well, that's, that's true. That's true with any unsolved like, uh, mystery. Bitches did burn up, and that <laughs> dude who's doing the investigation doesn't give a shit. It that's seems probably what most likely. It seems like with a lot of these cases that you always have this, like you know, you have that likely scenario. And we talked about, I think one of the, there was another case, I think in the like Philadelphia where this like lady disappeared, and then you had all these sightings of her after. Yeah, and. You know, she eventually turns up, I think, dead in North Carolina. But like in this case and several others, you always have that. You always have this weird like, okay, it seems likely that these kids probably burned up in the fire. And there was no time for them to get out. But then you just have these weird sightings that happen afterwards. And like, I I don't know, really know how to explain that, whether that's some kind of wishful thinking or whether that's some kind of mass hysteria. Yeah, it's hard to say because, I mean, it has happened. I mean, most of the time, I don't, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but, uh, you know, the majority of the time, if somebody gets taken, if somebody gets kidnapped, for example, um, you know, by a stranger, they're usually going to wind up dead, but not always. So there's always the possibility that I mean, we even talked about. I think we were talking about the cruise ship crimes on yeah. well, you know the last time, and we were talking about Amy Lynn Bradley, who disappeared off a cruise ship that she, you know she was on a cruise with her family, and then there were some photos of her that turned up later, kind of on or maybe they were of her. They turned up later on some uh, you know escort site like in Aruba yeah. or somewhere. Right. Right. Um, And, you know, people do get kidnapped for sex trafficking. It does happen. So it's not impossible. And I think that's why it's really hard to just discount people's sightings of them afterward, because it's possible that it could happen. I think it's less likely. It's more likely if somebody gets taken, they're usually going to get, I mean, if it's a woman, they're usually going to get raped and murdered. I mean, a child. Yeah. Or a child. They're usually going to get raped and murdered, um, you know, sadly. But well, actually, I, I don't know what the statistics are now, but I do remember reading that if the if a child was taken and is missing, if you can't find them within a couple hours, chances are they're going to be dead. 
But most of them that are taken are found within a couple hours and they're alive. Yeah, I think it's like 72 hours or something they say. Yeah. Yeah. Because what happens a lot is that a pervert will abduct one, mess around with one, and then let the kid go because they actually like the kids. They're pedophiles. They don't hate the kids. They love the kid. So they just try to do what their little molestation and they let the kid go. But if they don't let the kid go, if you don't find the kid within a couple of cup, you said 72 hours. Then yeah, that that's kid, usually. Yeah. 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 And that kid's any person, dead. Any, any person within yeah. 72 hours. Yeah. That's, that's your window. Yeah. I mean, you can assume. Evidently, I was, most of them are abducted, molested and let go within hours, like three hours. Well, it's at random. Like I was just, I was waiting for you to come back from a walk or whatever. And I was watching an old episode of cold case files. Cause I love that show. That's like, it's a, it's weird, but it's like a relaxing thing for me to watch. Mm-hmm. So I was watching an old it's one. The, an it's old, that narration, you know, it is. It's and, like, and I don't know. Was, and there was a human head inside the refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of I don't know. It's, he he wonders how I can watch true crime shit all the time and like read about it's it. Da- it's, it makes it a downer to me. Yeah. It is, but it's like I don't know. I find it interesting, and it's also kind of I don't know. It's it's I, not comforting. That's you're not, not alone, word, Jenny. I find it interesting too. So yeah. yeah, but I was just watching this one, and I can't remember where it took place. But um, this little girl, she was taken. It was 1974, and I think she was 12 or 13 years old. And the sad thing, she had been at like a public pool or something with her brother and he made her mad. Like he did a cannonball and got her all wet. And she was like, man, screw you, bro. And she was walking back to their house, which was only like a block or two away. And he saw her and then two like leaving. And then two minutes later, she just disappeared and they found her body like six weeks later, six months later, I think it was six months later, they found her skull like in a field, like yeah. nine miles away. And they pretty much knew who did it. It was this, she had walked by this, um, it was a high school or an elementary school or something. And there was a janitor that had worked there. And he was pretty much, they determined that he was the only dude that had been there, that had been seen in the area that could have taken her in that window. Right. Like, you know, would, when between where her brothers are, between where she disappeared. So they figured it was probably him, but they didn't have enough evidence. So he basically walked. But then many years later, somebody came forward when, you know, a new investigator came in and opened up the cold case file and kind of tried to republicize it. This girl or this woman came forward and said, oh my God, I think that's the same dude that molested me back in the seventies. And he was a janitor at that school. He basically chloroformed her mm-hmm. and took her into the school, molested her. She kept waking up. Cause I guess he didn't give her enough chloroform. Well, so she, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not a real, I mean, if you're ever thinking of, yeah. please don't chloroform somebody, but you know, that shouldn't need to be said. <laughs> Let me put you down. But it doesn't work the way it works in the movies. Yeah. You know, in the movies, they're like, Oh, they put it over their mouth and they knock them out right away. But it doesn't work like that. Like you, Public keep service you have to keep, do not, do this yeah <laughs> i'm just saying don't do this i'm just saying it doesn't work like it does in the movies like if you if you don't continuously give them chloroform they'll just keep waking up waking up it doesn't like knock people out for hours and hours so this girl right. kept waking up and she came forward and she's like yeah i'm pretty sure that's the same dude that did the same thing to me but she got let go 
Yeah. So I guess he had been like escalating. Right. Because and then another girl came forward and said, oh, my God, that I think that dude did the same thing to me like back in the day. And so they eventually ended up getting I think it was like in the mid 2000s sometimes, because when they when they questioned this dude, they opened up the trunk of his car in the trunk of his car was two bottles of chloroform, which Hmm. super sketchy um, knives, (sighs) duct tape. Like all this other he had kind a of whole stuff. Kit. He, yeah, he had like a whole abduction kit, yeah, and the, yeah. and the cops yeah. at the time said that they're like, this is essentially an abduction kit. But other than him being the only dude that was kind of in the area, they didn't have any other physical evidence because it was the seventies, you know. So they were like, well, we can't really hold him on that because the <laughs> DA was just like, yeah, we don't have enough evidence, we can't yeah. get a conviction. So he's like, just forget it. Um, so they didn't end up getting him until like way later on, but he had done it before. Um, as far as they know, this little girl that he killed was maybe the first one that he killed. Right. Although I kind of doubt that. I kind of feel like he had maybe done it before and Kim, they just didn't catch him because yeah. that's not something that just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. That kind of stuff. How many so, of these stories are like, like start like in with just, well, we couldn't catch him because it was the seventies. <laughs> yeah i mean people forget it's like the 70s they didn't have dna they didn't have right. anything like that and the thing about it is that even if you know even if he has a trunk full of chloroform that's you know obviously yeah. that's really suspicious but it's not evidence. illegal it's not illegal you have to be able to nail a guy he said that he had the chloroform he stole it from the high school because he used it to get high that's what he said mm-hmm. and obviously that's bullshit but they couldn't prove it so well until much later when other people came forward and fingered him you know for doing the same kind of shit but just letting them go right so i think that he got to a point well when they when they caught him or when they arrested him he also had a bunch of scratches all over so i think what might have happened was that he kidnapped this one girl took her into the school and she fought him like hell yeah and he ended up killing her because she fought him maybe so i kind of feel like that's what happened and then he just drove her into the field and like dumped her there sadly Mm -hmm. but you know it's it was just like a sad it's just funny that you're talking about that because i just watched that on cold case files like last night or something (laughs) let's let's talk about uh i want to talk about db cooper okay cooper yeah this is one of the like i think one of the best like mysteries did you guys happen? Because I listened to you guys' episode on this. Did you guys happen to catch the HBO documentary? No, I don't think we. I don't no. think we did actually. I, no, I don't think so. Okay, so some of the, uh, some I, I I think some if not all of the suspects that you guys covered in that episode were also covered in the DB Cooper. Yeah, well, Jenny does her research, man. She can dig out some good shit. Bro. And like, and like, honestly, in that documentary, like, you're just left like totally guessing as to which of the four. I think there's four people that they talk about. Which of the four could it have been? Because it honestly could have just been any of the four. That's and- kind of what I came across too, because they were kind of like, "Well, this guy's more likely than that guy." I'm like, they all sound kind of likely though of being the guy that could have done it. Although I suspect, I suspect that he probably died. Although the weird yeah. thing about it is that where did all the rest of the money go is what I think is weird because I mean the, the 50, what, what was it? $5,800 of it that they found 
And some of it, it looked like it had been buried by a right. person. Now, the heat, it wasn't necessarily him that buried it, though. I mean, right. somebody else could have buried it at some okay. other point. Look. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Out of the four suspects that you're talking about, right? I don't remember which one of them was most likely airborne army. How, I, many, of them, how I, many of them were there? Okay, so so I lean towards the guy that on his deathbed told his then wife yeah, yeah. that he was D.B. Cooper. I lean towards him. And the reason I lean towards him is because the money that was found, they went to that area. And it almost seems like he dropped the money there and said that he, it almost seems like he had dropped the money. He had the money with him. He dropped it there. And later on, that kid finds it. Yeah. So he told the kid where to find it? No. Okay. It, no, just, no, it was just it was just random. He he did yeah. it purposely. He had the money with him. He dropped it just to throw whoever off the yeah. the, the, tra- the trail. Re- I don't remember which guy that is. He's talking. They never about. did. Um, which I'm guy was sure, that? I'm not sure you guys actually covered him. Okay. Oh yeah, we, we might did. not have. Because I, I, I can't. I can't remember you, all their you, names. You right did now. cover the 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 the, the guy that the the trans guy the one that was like became a woman later on yeah yeah that's and then right. there was the other one where the lady said that it was her uncle you that's guys right co- yeah, yeah. you guys covered that one i don't think you covered the one where it was like the guy uh told his wife i was db cooper on his deathbed and he now, was, what, what was he his- was ex-military okay this is what i was saying he has to be ex-military 
X airborne, probably. Right. Okay. World War II, like, World War II vet. He would have had to have been. He has to be a hardcore motherfucker that is totally comfortable jumping out of a airplane that he's never jumped out of before, but he has jumped before. You know what I mean? He's not afraid of jumping. He's not. He's not afraid of Halo, which is high altitude, low opening, fucking parachute jump. Okay. Now a guy from the eighty second who's just on a standard jump. That's not Halo. It's just a regular old jump. Okay. As soon as you jump out, it pulls the cord for you. That's that's enough. Okay. If he can do that, then he can do Halo. All right. How which many is, oh, How many feet is that? It's still thousands of feet. Okay. Yeah, I okay. mean, it was a fairly low it's, altitude. It's now, one thing about feet. it, like I said, the guy had to know because he specifically chose that particular plane because yeah. he knew that it was the easiest right. to jump out of because the you know the right. hatch that you would jump out of was the farthest away yeah. from the engines and right. So ch- I'm thinking that in that era, okay, this is before, um, uh, what do you call it? This is before recreational para jumping. Okay. This is before guys paid to go out and jump. Right. You're talking about a dude who's military. You're talking about a guy who has balls. He will jump out of a fucking airplane. Even if he, even if he's never jumped out of that type of airplane, he wouldn't know what questions to ask. I need a ramp where I can get a clear exit. All right. I need to have, um, I'll pull the ripcord myself. I don't need to hook up to jump that kind of stuff. Well, he asked them for four parachutes too, but he so, only took, I think he only took right. two of them. Though. So this isn't his first jump. Okay. He also has to be comfortable jumping in the dark and landing in the wild, in the dark. And he, and he has to have the confidence that he can get out of there on regular infantry style right. land navigation skills B- because on d-day didn't they drop those guys like in the early morning yes they did they dropped them yeah. in random fucking places where they didn't plan because they were getting shot at a lot of them landed in the water got drowned some of them landed on top of german machine gun nests and got fucking shot to pieces on their way down there's just it was somebody who was not afraid to jump into unknown conditions because they felt that they had the skills to get themselves out of there because on foot because he jumped out. I mean, he must've had a plan, obviously. It's a plan. It seemed like he wasn't real concerned about where he was going to land because the plane like rerouted a couple of times. Cause the pilot was like, Hey, we can't fly to where you're saying. Cause he wanted to go somewhere in Mexico or something like that. He's like, we don't have enough fuel. And so they had to circle around a few times. And so I don't think, I mean, he jumped out like maybe, somewhere he didn't plan maybe he had a bunch of plans he like ahead had, of time i don't think it was a plan per se it was a general it was a general concept yeah he had confidence that no matter where he jumped that he would be able to walk his way to a place where he could get to civilization yeah and i'm telling you this is somebody who has infantry skills yeah okay well you'd have to to pull you'd off have something to, like that at night so he can walk at night and get himself back out of the woods and back to a road. He knows any infantryman knows that if you walk long enough inside the continental United States, you right. will eventually hit a road. 
even in the Pacific Northwest. Exactly. Yeah. You will eventually hit a road. Just walk in the same direction until you hit a road. Once you hit a road, you will find your way back to civilization. So he knows that. So do you think he was a vet of probably World War II or Korea? Yeah. I kind of or, think, yeah, he must have been. Or, or the Army, Airborne Army. Could have been peacetime, but in that era. Yeah. Because some guys only served two years. And I'm going to say 82nd Airborne Division or uh, 75th Infantry, which is Ranger, Airborne Ranger. Possibly maybe some of the Air Force units. Well, uh, Jenny, wasn't the original plan to take the plane to Mexico? Yeah, he wanted it. Well, that's what he asked them at first. And then the pilot was like, well, we don't have enough fuel to do that. So so then kind of him and the pilot sort of conferred. He's like, well, we can go here and get more fuel and do this and that and the other thing. So... Like I said, I don't think he had a particular plan as to like, oh, I have to jump out here. He didn't have anybody waiting for him, obviously. But like you said, he probably had confidence that, oh, wherever I jump out, I'll be able to find my way back to if he made it. I don't know. Um, The fact the only thing that makes me think that maybe he didn't. I mean, some people did say later that it's like, oh, I picked up a guy that kind of looked like that and took him to this diner or whatever. But I kind of feel like. I don't know. It, it The fact that none of the money, because they, you know, they had all the serial numbers of all the money that they yeah. gave him. And the fact that none of that was ever spent that they know of is a little weird. Yeah, that's very strange. I think yeah. he died. I mean, yeah. he so and the thing is, if he jumped out and died in the wilderness somewhere, I mean, no one would ever find him. If he did live, he lost the money. Well, Mexico would have probably have been a better place to jump out. Yeah. Because you could terrain. buy your way out of Mexico. That's what I'm saying. I don't know why, like, he chose to jump out in that particular spot. Like, because all the pilot said was, we just have to refuel before we get to Mexico. And then, presumably, they Mex- would have taken him to Mexico. Mexico would have been... Because he said he had a bomb. Mexico would have been a little easier because it was still the same rules. Just keep walking in the same direction until you find a road. Well, follow that road one way or another, and you will find civilization. Well, jumping over now, you got U.S. dollars, but and with U.S. Jump- dollars, you can do whatever you need to do right there in Mexico, and then you could let the situation cool down. You could live in Mexico yeah. for a year, two years, three years, and not spend any money during that time. And, and I don't like think there was any game. real, real extradition. But I You're think right. also from a logistical point of view, wouldn't have jumping over jumping out over a desert been a lot easier than jumping over like serious forest forest canopy uh yes and no you jump over forest the danger is getting hung up in a tree and getting hit and right. and, and getting getting your shit busted up on limbs coming down now if you can make it down to the ground okay without being totally busted up you're gold you you're good you can even keep some of that shoot as a blanket, if it gets too cold and you can wrap up in that to spend, you know, to spend the night in warmth. So, but, and, and yeah, forest, once you're on the ground, it's a lot more hospitable because a lot more water. The temperature range is a lot better. You got shade. Landing in desert is very easy because you're not going to hit any trees. The problem there is water and sunlight. Yeah. If you're out in the middle of fucking nowhere and you don't have any water, yeah, you'll eventually find a road, but that might be a four-day walk. Well, guess what? (laughs) 
you might die of dehydration in that four days that you're walking. So my theory, he jumped out, he was okay. But then yeah. he encountered Bigfoot and he had a problem. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> we're gonna tie those two things together. I think, there, yeah, I think. So I've never, so I've, I've never watched this show, but there was apparently something like Mad Men. Didn't yeah. they have something like like the uh, the main character that John Hamm played? That there was something like he was DB Cooper or something like that. Oh, did they go in that direction? I only I, saw I thought the first... there was something weird like that that they did. Because I knew I got to the point, like, you know, spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't watched Mad Men. I think I only saw the first few seasons and I kept meaning to like catch up with it. And now I'm like so behind, you know, then I got so behind that it's too daunting. But I knew that he was he had stolen someone else's identity. Right. Um, in during the war. But I didn't know that they went in that direction where that wouldn't that be something. Yeah, now I'm Dan- going to have to watch the rest of that. Yeah, show. Dan-, Dan Draper was yeah. yeah because what was um what was db cooper it was like 1971 yeah it was something like so that. it's it within like that time time well that documentary is interesting because the thing about it is that it really looks at at db cooper like he's a folk hero he's very yeah. much like a bonnie and clyde like that kind of like john dillinger like like this motherfucker got away with it Well, I kind of feel like anybody, it's just kind of like, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those people that, you know, makes folk heroes out of criminals, but in another, you know, context, I kind of feel like if you're just taking money from banks or something like that, and you're not just like, you know, you're not murdering people, you're not stealing money from people that need it and you get away with it. That's what I mean. So I, I feel Shouldn't like, do it, but yeah, it's like, don't do it. But yeah. if somebody like that did that and got away with it, you're almost kind of like, you go, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think he got away with it though. Uh, chances are, I'm going to tell you, chances are he jumped on his way down. He hit trees, got really busted up, hung there in the trees for a while. Shit would not suck. Cut himself down. Yeah. He hit the ground. He had broken legs or a broken leg. He couldn't walk out. Maybe even a broken back. And he he laid there on the ground dead. He couldn't go anywhere. Yeah, That's probably what happened. And 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 the and his whole scene was only in a few meters square. Him and the money. And over time, rain and the elements got to that. You won't find him. Well, again, wasn't there the guy that said that that he he picked him he picked him up in a truck. Yeah, but, that was yeah. Somebody did say that afterwards. Could and, be, like could took him be. to a diner or something. But I said chances are what really happened is that the dude died, got because he got busted up on a bunch of trees. Now everybody knew about the DB Cooper thing. There's always going to be a probability where somebody's lying. Oh yeah, I saw the guy. Oh no, it's me. I did it. You know. Right. But chances are, dude didn't make it. Yeah. He did a it, night jump, but not impossible. He could have made it. Could and, be. But been. chances are he did a night jump over a fucking forest, got busted up on the trees. And because he was so busted up, he couldn't walk out with that money. And he died there on the ground. He's just like, well, with a broken me. back or a couple of broken legs. You but know? you're kind of hoping that he got away. It's it's always right. kind of he like, may have crawled, but he wouldn't have made it only a couple of couple of miles. You know, and it's always kind of like, I'm, yeah, I'm always kind of like yeah. into those big heist kind of things where somebody's right. real ballsy like that. That's why yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by these big art heists and diamond heists and stuff, but they don't hurt anybody. 
but they just take a bunch of stuff that was insured or take a bunch of money that was insured and then they got away with it like one of my favorite heists i still want to do a show about this one of these days because i read a book about it a few years ago was the big uh antwerp uh diamond heist like Mm -hmm. they have a big um i guess in antwerp which is in belgium they have a big like a diamond little uh you know a little fortress part in the middle of the city where there's all these diamond merchants and stuff and this gang they pretty much they planned this shit there was a whole bunch of them and they planned it for two years and they kind of like infiltrated they got people to like work in some of the diamond places as like security guards so they had people on the inside and they got away with i think it was one of the biggest if not the biggest jewel heists in history And as far as I know, most of them got away with it and they didn't find most of the jewels and stuff that they stole. They stole like a bunch of loose gems and stuff like that. With D.B. Cooper, they found some of that money on the ground. Yeah, That's a bad sign, though. That's a very bad sign. Right. Uh, Because had he lived, he'd have have every one of those bills. Of course, that guy's wife (laughs) claims that he was there in that area and she thinks that he dropped the money into the creek and a f- couple like a, a few weeks later that kid found it it's sound, it just sounds uh, it just sounds fishy well there were yeah. it's weird because it's, after that happened because it was so publicized they had a bunch of copycats right and one right. of the guys that was a copycat they thought yeah. it might have actually been db cooper because he did something pretty much yeah. exactly the same as what db cooper had done but he got caught like in a within a day or it's, two it's just very fishy if you steal money you're going to keep every one of them goddamn bills because you risked your life for it. You would think. And, and you know, I mean, if you're healthy and you're skilled and you got that, you got a bag full of money, you're going to walk out with that whole fucking bag. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I can't, yeah, I just can't leave it. I can't leave it there. Bag. <laughs> All right. That's, I, what's re- that's what's really going to happen. I'm, I'm I just, think. I'm just personally convinced that, that it was that guy. Like just from seeing, it's, that like I said, it could have been. I kind of die rich. Um, I think he was pretty, pretty, pretty okay. Okay, well, then I, then I don't think. Right. I, I think you know, but it's like that's the thing about that documentary. It's like it's just it's ambiguous. You're dealing with a dude that didn't. Ha- he had skills, but he probably didn't have a pot to piss in. Yeah. He had a lot of balls, right? And he was trying to get his hands on some money. It was kind of like a score of the lifetime. He probably, if he had that much of a plan to do the to do the jump and everything, he would have had a plan of what to do with that money. Okay. Well, you would think that you he would, would plan that plan out ahead of time. What, like, do, how what, am I going to? How am I going to spend this money? Because anybody, well, and right. anybody worth their salt would know, right. even back then, that right. they can track all the serial numbers. Yeah. So if, if he's you a think mil- that he'd have some kind of plan. If he's a military man that has the focus to do all this stuff, he has a focus to how to spend all that money and to, and to launder it. So mm-hmm. he probably has a whole plan. Chances are, just off the top of my head, chances are he died. Yeah. There's a possibility he could have lived, though. Yeah. But you have to show me a good candidate. Right. You yeah, check, check that out. Um, okay. It's, a, it's on HBO. HBO. Oh, right. okay. check, yeah. check that out. Um, okay. It came out like um, a few months ago. Okay, so it's fairly new. So right. as usual, I never get to everything that we want to talk about, but let's talk about some Fine. movies. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> before we uh, we we stop and go on to Patreon stuff. Um, okay. Jenny, 
you talked about threads. I did, yeah. And uh, I don't think Tom wanted to watch that one. Doesn't seem like. Yeah, I, well, I watched that one on my own. I was very excited when Shutter added it because yeah, it's it's definitely a horror movie. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Um, the thing about it, I had heard this was the first time I'd ever seen it. Like when I was reviewing it for the for my show, and I was just kind of like, I you know, I had seen the day after, which came out in '83. Because and I remember a little bit about it, but I just I mostly remember the reaction that everybody had afterward, like the next day at school. Because I was only I guess I was only eleven or something. Yeah, I, I was. Being, I was. I was younger, but I yeah. remember it. I remember my parents watching this stuff when I was little, and like it absolutely terrifying me. <laughs> it was yeah. I remember it being really terrifying, and I remember being at school the next day. I think it was in fifth grade, if I'm remembering correctly. And I remember everybody talking about it the next day, like, oh my God, did you see that shit last night? Holy shit. It's like, what would happen? But then it's, and it's like scary, but I think the thing that was scarier and, you know, the more I looked into it, I kept seeing threads, which I guess you could call like the British equivalent of the day after. And I kept seeing that coming up on everybody's scariest movie lists. And I said, oh, well, it's kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a nuclear apocalypse, you know, docudrama. And so I really, really wanted to see it. And then Shudder added it. And I think that Threads is a lot more effective because the day after, even though I haven't seen it in many years, even though it was really scary and it was really realistic and they really did try to, you know, make it as realistic as as possible to show what would really happen in the aftermath of a nuclear war, the fact that they had actors in it that I knew who they were you know, like it had like Steve Gutenberg was in it, uh, who I knew from the Police Academy movies like back then. Right, right. Joe Beth Williams was in it. And I'd seen her in Poltergeist like just a year or two before. And it was just kind of like, so you knew that it wasn't real because you're like, oh, these are obviously actors. But what they did with Threads was that, you know, since I didn't have any, I didn't recognize any of the people. I guess some of the people that were in it had been in some British TV and stuff, but I didn't know who they were. So, and a lot of the actors that they got in it were just kind of random ass people. So I think that that made it a lot more realistic because you could totally believe that these, these were just, you know, just random civilians going through this kind of shit. Another thing that I liked too about threads in particular was that they took great care to show what would happen, not just in the immediate aftermath of the nuclear war, but also like several years, like it skipped ahead, like a bunch. It was just like, hey, here's like a year later, here's 10 years later, you know, here's, you know, the shit that the world has dissolved into. By that point, you know, everybody's just gone feral at that point. Everyone's, you know, all the kids that had grown up in the aftermath of it were all like brain damaged and none of them could really talk anymore and all this other kind of stuff. And so it was just, I mean, I watched it, I think it was like a weekend and I watched it on shutter. Finally, you really, really have to be in the mood to watch something like that because yeah, it was really, <laughs> it's really um, soul crushing. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I mean, they really did I, a good job of showing just how everything would just completely go to shit. And I mean, I really like the way they, I, it was really effective how they did kind of like microcosm macrocosm. It's like, you know, we're going to center the whole thing in Sheffield 
in England. We're going to have like a few families. So you can, you know, there's people you can relate to who, like I said, they weren't characters in the same way that, you know, people from the day after were because it's like, Hey, it's that actor. It's Jason Robards. It's, you know, I know who that person is. These people were just, they weren't even like characters. They were just random ass people and seeing them go through this, seeing seeing them go through this like horrible thing and then seeing what happened to them subsequently and i also liked too that and i think i mentioned this on my review that some of the people in the movie like some of the characters you know you you know this all this shit goes down and then you don't ever find out what happened to them it's just kind of like they disappeared and they're like nobody knows where they went well because everything got blown up and then you know people died of radiation sickness there's like piles of rubble and everything you know the nuclear winter and all that other kind of shit and it's like well we don't even know what happened to ted it's like and he never shows up again in the movie it's not like a three-act structure they did a really good job of doing doing it like a documentary but it's still being a fictional yeah. movie and then the and I, director- was just, I was i was so bummed out like at the end of it it was such a bummer. oh yeah 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 the, it's, it it's that movie like i've seen the day after multiple times but yeah. that movie and the road are two that I'm like, okay, great yeah. movie, but I don't want to watch them again. The Rogue and, was the one that was about the UV light, right? Huh? The Rogue. Was it the one where the sun was boiling everybody? No. Okay. I, I read the, the I read the book, The Road, too. Yeah, the and Corbett, then I saw the Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ooh, man, if you ever want to like just feel like yeah. killing yourself. The, the, the Road is basically like, 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 I don't know what happens, like an asteroid strike or something. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's something like that. And, and, and it's basically just like uh, human beings have resorted to cannibalism. Mm, I mean, yeah. it, it, it actually has a really beautiful message in the I saw that was German, isn't it? No. Uh, it's Amer- it's uh, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, okay. Robert Duvall is actually in it. Yeah, uh, a few it's other a people. Flick. Guy Ritchie, um, yeah, I think is in it. So there's, okay. there's, there. I mean, it's, it's it actually has a very beautiful message, but it's just a, it's just a brutal message. It's just a brutal movie to watch. Hmm. But Threads is just kind of just like that. Um, yeah, for, it's for just me. I, I just felt so. Have you, man, it it was, it's a heavy, it's a heavy watch. I can see why I can see how, if you grew up in the UK during the same period, like I said, in the eighties, when, you know, if you're a kid in the eighties, this kind of specter of nuclear annihilation was always kind of like in the, you know, it was in the atmosphere. It was kind of in the back of everyone's mind. And I think even when I was a kid, I remember thinking, well, that's going to happen one of these days. That's going to suck. You know what I mean? I never believed it. Well, it's well, you know, yeah. you didn't really believe that it was yeah. going to happen, but it was always kind of there, like in the culture, like it could happen. So and the fact that you see it in the movie, particularly in threads where they don't really buy it either, even though they see like in the background, like on the news and stuff, all this like escalating shit. But I don't think they really you don't really believe it until it happens. And like their reactions, like when they actually see the nuclear warheads going off and they're like, holy shit, it actually happened. And then like what happens subsequently, it's just their disbelief is kind of one of the scariest things to me, like watching that movie. I I think the British have a darker, bleaker outlook on it because they do, especially because of World War One, like World War One really affected the British psychologically. Yeah. And the French as well. But have you ever seen the war game? Have you sat down and watched that? No. I haven't. Threads, yeah, Threads is basically a remake of the war game. Yeah, right. because I guess they made that back in the 60s. 
And right. yeah, it was similar. It was like a docudrama. I haven't seen it, but I read about it. And um, then they, they made it for the BBC, I think. And the BBC were like, eh, yeah, no, we can't show that. Even though they had commissioned it. They're like, yeah. hey, make something that they just ref- to like They refused to show it in 1960. Yeah, they're like, no, we're not six. showing that. Yeah. But then in the 80s, they were like, man, we need to make another thing like that. Cheer everyone up, you know, um, or, you know, so they decided to make another one and then they did show it. And uh, as far as I know, it was like even more horrific than the original thing that they yeah. made back in the 60s. When they showed threads, they actually showed threads and they showed the war game at the same time. So the war game was produced in 1966 and it's yeah. basically like it's a documentary. Yeah. And it has that same kind of format that Threads has, but they basically um, the BBC would not show it. They yeah. refused to show it, and you can still. I think you can still find it on YouTube. I think it's still there. Yeah, it's around there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But they definitely. I mean, the British have always had more. I don't know. It's they. They definitely do have a lot more. I guess, like you said, a, a bleaker outlook, or I guess they're kind of more, I wouldn't say they're pessimistic necessarily, but I think they're just more realistic in the sense that yeah, yeah. they're just kind of like, well, everything's going to shit well, and this is how it's going to be. And they'll watch it. There's, you know, it's, it doesn't, I don't think it upsets them the same way. I, I, that's why I, you know, the day after as horrific as that was, I feel like they still needed to have one kind of famous Hollywood actors in it. And two, they had to have an ending that, you know, a lot of people died and stuff, but then at the end, they're like, oh, you know, we're going to pull this all together. You know, it'll be fine. Um, you know, humanity, we're going to, you know, hopeful. Whereas the British were like, man, fuck that. It's I'm, like I'm, everything sucks. And it I'm, just got I'm worse a, and worse as the movie went on. <laughs> like, like I had my own kind of like kinder trauma at that age because I was like, I was like seven years old and brutally fucking scared of nuclear war. Like I'm, I'm sure you guys can understand that. Like, we were the last generation that was kind of like scared of it. Yeah. And like, I don't think people really understand in 1983, just how close we could have come Yeah. to it. So yes. it's like those movies, you had threads day after Testament was another one. Yeah. That if you've seen that just like emotionally wrenching. Yeah. You know, you know it's funny about the eighties and all that nuclear war stuff. You know, I, I grew up in a military Academy, you know, fucking signal hill california and uh as a kid we read all those fucking books we we would read fucking jane's defense weekly and shit we were reading all that shit by the time we were fucking 12 and 13 and i wasn't scared at all because i i understood exactly what the they were fucking doing and it there was a book that i read in 1993 called the future of warfare and it was written by a a guy who was an arms dealer and uh, he was like one of the top arms dealer in Jane's defense. And he didn't give up nuclear secrets, but he did talk about a lot of stuff about the nuclear aspect. It was bogus. It was mostly um, hyperbole. See, this is the thing that was happening in the arms industry. The Soviet Union couldn't afford nuclear testing. And we knew that they could build nuclear weapons, but they couldn't test the effects on them. KGB and a lot of the Soviet intelligence, what they would do is they would just read what we were saying about the effects and they would put that in their manuals. And we knew that. 
So what the, what the impetus was in the military and in the military industrial complex was to exaggerate how deadly nuclear warfare would be. And we knew that the Soviets would hear that and they would incorporate that into their doctrine. Well, so they we magnified everything by about 10 times. Well, that's kind of a smart thing to do smart, because, right. well, you didn't, I mean. You wanted to make them not launch. Yeah. Well, that so, was kind of the whole thing. It's right. like we, may, we want to make everything sound much worse than maybe it was. worse than it would right. be in real life. I mean, right. like I said, it didn't happen. So they yeah. don't really know what but, the effects would be. But the, the a nuclear weapon is can destroy a city, but destroying a city will not win a war. We used two nuclear weapons on Japanese cities. And within days, those were functioning cities again. All right. As you increase the megatonnage of a nuclear warhead, really, you had diminishing returns. The area of effect actually didn't get any bigger. So they found out that big nuclear war, warheads weren't effective. You wanted smaller ones, ones you yeah. could actually use, destroyed a certain area. And all it was is it was a substitute for a bombing campaign. You don't need B-17s and B-24s. Well, to it's drop. more like a that, one and done. It's just one and done, and that's it. And I, there's I, your I, shit. I think they knew that like mutually assured destruction was really going to work. That like if you if you launch, we'll launch, and you know, you're and nobody gonna, really gonna, wanted everybody's going to die. Nobody's going to want that. Here was yeah. the thing. You're dealing with the Soviet Union. It was a professional military, all right? And they were a civilization. They did not want the exchange. No, they didn't. They didn't want it. So you could trust them. There was no fucking danger. Well, the it thing was, the danger, though, the danger was, was that it could happen by accident. That, that was what that's so true. I was more yeah. worried so, about that. So, so, I mean, I mean, have any of you guys seen... Have you guys seen fail, fail safe? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know so like that. in 1983, there was literally an incident where the sun was coming up over the Great Plains where all the fucking missiles were. Yeah. yeah. And this guy came down to one dude. Yeah. In, yeah. in the complex that said, I think the computer is malfunctioning. It's reading the sun coming up. And yeah. the Americans are not launching their missiles at us. We need to yeah. wait and see what's going on. Yeah, that yeah. one guy. I might have mentioned that on the threads review. I can't remember the dude's name, but he's known as like the dude that saved the world right. because Had everyone just, else was like, oh, my God, yeah. they've launched. We have to launch. And, and return. he's like, no, I think it's and, it, <laughs> during, the, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. It came down to three dudes on a, on a, on yeah. a nuclear submarine. One of them that disagreed. Yeah. And actually, the movie Crimson Tide is based on that. The Russian, you're yeah. talking about the Russian guys. Yeah. Right. You're talking about the Russians, right? The Russian guys, yeah. Yeah, the Russian guys said, I ain't launching. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it, mean, it, it literally, sure yeah, it literally yeah. came down to those, yeah. to the, to the decision of an individual. Those, yeah, right. yeah. But he, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this kind of stuff. It always comes down to individuals. It's not computers. It's not fucking people in command. It's always at guys at the battlefield level and they tend to be reasonable and they're like, I don't have proof that this shit's going on. I ain't going to launch. Well, especially right. something and, of that magnitude. Right. And, and, and 
chances are, had there ever been an accidental exchange, it would have been very limited. Hopefully, yeah. It would have been it would have been something per, on the periphery between military bases and installations that had been very limited. And then they would have backed off. Both sides would have backed off. It's not, the Soviets were very trustworthy when it came to doing rational things. They weren't terrorists. Well, well they, didn't want, they didn't want their shit, they didn't blown, want up shit blown up Let me ask you this, Tom. The Soviets yeah. are trustworthy. Are yeah. the Russians, we're talking about two different things here. Yeah. People don't understand that. Yeah. Are the Russians now yeah. trustworthy yeah i would say more so than the soviets yeah the ones you ones you can't trust are the chinese i would never trust them no but like i said the thing about it is that any anything of that magnitude you would think that most people would be like we better make a hundred per a hundred two hundred percent sure before we do this yeah. shit you have yeah. to understand something the russians are being demonized they're being demonized by U.S. media outlets because the people that own the U.S. media outlets are Chinese. China owns the U.S. media outlets. And the Chinese and the Russians do not get along. They do not want a U.S.-Russia alliance. Okay. The United States right now is China's bitch. And we've been China's bitch for about a decade. All right. They own our ruling class. Our ruling class is invested in China. Our ruling class wants the Chinese model. That's why you're seeing Maoist-style revolutions right now. And they're not to build a new thing. It's just to destroy old things because we're in a post-America era. This is not coming back. China's got this. Well, I do kind of, I find that interesting, Tom. I, yeah. I, I was wait and see, wait and see. Well, that's all, that's all any of us can do. They, they've been, they've been talking about gonna, this for a decade. How shit's going to shake out. Yeah. This, right. They've been talking about this shit for a decade. Let, let's talk about briefly before we close the main section right. of the show. Let's talk about apocalypse. Now. Right. Oh my God. Because Tom loved this movie. So I, I love this movie so much. Okay. So I am doing um, for a former producer, Rob, who used to be on this show. I'm doing a, been teaching his girls American history because of COVID they've been out of school and stuff. And um, I actually have them watching this movie. Hopefully they're watching it this week. Um, I watched it. So because of that, I watched it again recently and it, it still really stands up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I've seen it probably like a billion times at this point. Well, have you have you seen have you seen Jeremiah Johnson? I've never actually sat down to watch Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> That's also John Milius. See Jeremiah yeah. Johnson. He's he's a John Milius. Right. I'm a John Milius fucking fan. Fan boy. All right. <laughs> me and John are like this, bro. <laughs> he stands. John. Yeah, me and John are like this. It's we, weird. Because- we speak the exact goddamn same language. All right, you want, and you also want to see Conan, the first Conan. Not oh, the I, I've I've seen the first Conan. I've seen yeah. that a couple of times. The Co- thing, I mean, the thing about Apocalypse Now, I saw it several times when I was growing up. I had never seen the extended director's cut with yeah. all that's like the Redux. The Redux, yeah, yeah that's, that's what we watched for the review. And a lot of you know, some people complain. It's like, oh, you know, this scene didn't need to be in there. That I don't, I don't, I don't hang with that. 
I think everything that was in there is good. I like that they put yeah. all that back yeah. in there. Like, it you know, explains the whole narrative of, of the whole lesson is explained in the Redux. Well, it's interesting because I've seen the Redux. I actually went to see that in the theater when it came out. Yeah. And it felt like you were in there forever. You are. Yeah. Uh, it's long. I, 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 I think <laughs> I think that it's interesting that they put the French experience in there because that's that, that's that's that was part, the main thing. That's a part of Vietnam that yeah. people don't really understand. Yeah. But having watched the original theatrical cut, I honestly think that there is it's a much more powerful movie because of the lack of women in it. Yeah, yeah it could be. Um, look, I was gonna say it, too, if you were, if if you liked that part of um of apocalypse now that had the you know the french in there there was a movie that came out i can't remember who directed it it was called indochine and uh catherine Deneuve was in it, it might have been a right. french movie and it kind of goes into that time period of history and stuff too because i think that's a that's a part that doesn't get because i think that was when they did the redux i think that was the part that most people complained about it's like why is that even in there like it seemed like it interrupted the narrative like all these people just sitting around the table or whatever but i think that was kind of a significant I don't know. I just, I just feel like that's something that a lot of people didn't know about the Vietnam War. It's well, kind of like an under an underappreciated sort of aspect of that whole era of history. Yeah, it's it's not only that. It's it's also the part in the Redux version where they encounter the Playboy bunnies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And watching the theatrical version, which is the one that I watched just recently, I just kept thinking to myself this thing is all about male dysfunction. It is it, kind it, of in it, a lot it, of ways. <laughs> it, it works. It works that it's all males and that women yeah. aren't really involved in the story at all. It's a very strange kind of like, 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 like it, like it just, it just works in that way that you yeah. just go. And as you're going deeper into this madness, you're going deeper into like this, like just serious male dysfunction. And I think it works better. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And I've seen, I've right. watched a couple of, um, I saw a couple of really good video essays on YouTube where they were like analyzing both versions of the movie and kind of, you know, explaining why this is in there and why that's in there. And a couple of them said that, that it was just kind of like, this this journey, I mean, the journey down the river, the journey into madness and everything like that, right. and just kind of a, a, as the as the men just get more fucked up and fucked up and crazy at the end, and then it's just kind of like this battle at the end between these two. It's almost right. like he had to be the same as Colonel Kurtz to defeat him. Yeah, there's no positive feminine influence. Yeah, at all. Yeah. It was you know, Vietnam, bro. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It was yeah. man's business. It didn't went right. But, but, but okay, look. That's why it works so well in, yeah. the, in the theatrical cut. Yeah. Well, look. You know, you watch the theatrical cut because it's more concise. Yeah, you that's a, that's if, a good way of putting if, it. If you, if you see that first, that's great. If you still haven't really cracked the code of what Milius is trying to tell you, you then watch the Redux. And that'll help you because there's more in there about Kilgore, Colonel Kilgore, who is also a very powerful symbol in the movie. 
And a lot of these guys, a lot of these like crackpot YouTube analysis, don't listen to those fuckers, man. They're totally wrong. They have no idea what they're talking about. You want to listen to Milius himself. Milius tells you what that story is about. All right. Um, it is not an anti-war movie. It's pro-war. It's very pro-war. It's just that you're interpreting it in something that it isn't. And um, the dudes that worked on that were fucking ex-Special Forces guys. They were in the cast. They did a lot. Of, they helped Milius a lot bring that back to life, to bring Vietnam alive of what they were thinking and what the what the spirit behind that scene was. And it was a scene. Okay. I think the best story Milius told, Milius told a story that I think best codifies what Apocalypse Now is. Okay. Milius said when, during this time, there were these hippies running around with these little peace signs, these little buttons, a little peace sign button, and it would say Nirvana Now. Uh, and what they meant is, is that you could take LSD and you could trip out and experience heaven without having to die. So you could be one of these little worthless fucking college kids tugging on his mama's apron strings with a few dollars in his pocket. And you could experience fulfillment in heaven just by taking a fucking couple hits of acid. Millions didn't like that shit at all. That has nothing to do with Buddhist philosophy, Nietzschean philosophy, or Schopenhauer, nothing about personal development. That's just this corporate bullshit. Let's take some drugs. I'm fucking high. And now I'm a guru. All right. Now I'm a developed person. Bullshit. Milius would take those little buttons of a peace sign and he'd put jet engines on it and put little rings, little, little little wings on the, on the back of it and make it look like a B-52 and he wrote on the top of it, Apocalypse Now. All right. That the only way for development is through suffering. All right. Well, that's kind of Millis' whole thing. That's his whole thing. The crucible of suffering. All right. And overcoming obstacles to gain inner knowledge. All right. In other words, just like in Conan, you are forged on the anvil of Crom. <laughs> all right that's how you experience personal development that's how you reach valhalla all right none of this heaven shit valhalla okay now, when i die i don't go to heaven i go to fucking valhalla they told me that in basic training okay <laughs> y'all don't go to valhalla you don't have enough kills under your belt okay <laughs> you have not enough miles on your boots all right you don't have it spit enough blood all right you so that's what that's what it is talking about. Willard is the poster child for B PTSD. Right. All right. He's from the 173rd Airborne Division. He's working in Maxog. He's an assassin. When you first see him, fucking MI shows up at his hotel and says, uh, Colonel Willard, Willard, come with us. And he goes, what are the charges? Right. That's the first thing out of his mouth. What are the charges? Right. Oh, no, you're not being charged. Fucking the general wants to see you. Oh, okay. We got some right. shit for you to do. So bro. what kind of motherfucker, <laughs> what kind of motherfucker, the first thing out of his mouth is, what are the charges? <laughs> so you tell me, what kind of person is going to say that? Somebody who's done some bad shit. 
right? Yeah. Well, yeah, he has done some bad. Yeah, stuff. yeah, and okay. he's clearly having some problems he, he about knows it because it, right. he's like really fucked up at the beginning. But he's addicted to it. Yeah, it's PTSD. All this shit about dudes that fucking kill other people don't love it. They they, they hate war. Bullshit. That was all written in World War One when you just sat in a trench and got shelled with lice on you. All right. There's, oh, I, there's, I, I I know. I mean, you have vets now that like they want to go back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's an addictive substance. Right. right. Okay. All right. Hemingway says once a man has gone out and hunted other men, they don't have a taste for anything else. Okay. Because it's it's like the ultimate form of cocaine. That's why serial killers go back to kill these women. It is a rush for them. Yeah, but it's it's a, it's the same kind of thing. It's the same thing. It's just that it's an adrenaline. It's just that these dudes are like the predator. It's got to be an armed man. It's got to be an armed enemy man. That's what they're looking for. All right. Um, So he goes back and he takes this mission to kill a rogue SF colonel. And they ask him, first off, what do you think of the SF? What do you think of the special forces? And he goes, yeah, yeah, they're great. You know, I, I saw that movie with John Wayne. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and the reason why they're asking him that is they want to make sure there's no sympathy or no warrior worship or, I, you know, there's no they're, – they're not idolizing the special forces because they're going to send a dude out to kill spe- the special forces colonel. And if you looked at his fucking resume, his missions were working. All right? We're talking about Kurtz. Kurtz's missions actually worked. The army's missions didn't work. Kurtz's missions worked because the army's warfare is a civilized warfare. All right. How can, how can you civilize warfare? It's not possible. And he, Kurtz himself says, you tell these pilots they cannot write fuck on the sides of their airplanes because it's uncivilized. But yet you tell them to drop fire on fucking little children. Okay. Yeah, and he, has, he has that whole spiel where he talks about the inoculated arms or the yes. Arms he said, if off. I had guys like that, if I had guys like that, our problems here would be in Vietnam would be over very quickly. Tom, are you familiar with the Phoenix program? Uh, no. Well, you might be able to tell me what it is. And I might remember. Well, the Phoenix, the, the Phoenix program was a uh, CIA program in Vietnam that where they basically, it was pretty much just like what Colonel Kurtz was doing. I mean, it was just like terrorizing the local population. Yeah. And they would do weird things where they would talk, they would, um, they would have like a they would play these things off of loudspeakers where it was like the ghost of a of a dead Viet Cong soldier yeah. saying that he was in hell. It was basically <laughs> like psychological warfare. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there yeah. seems to be a little bit of the of an illusion in Apocalypse Now to some of that. Yeah, well, but like what he's saying Kurtz is doing. When Kurtz died, he's he remember he said the horror. The horror. The horror. Well, um, basically what works in actual warfare is not terrorism. It's horrorism. All right. Just ask the Mexican drug cartels. They own Mexico. All right. 
their elected fucking leaders that can actually have their own cartels and give money to the cartel and get if you want something done in Mexico, you have to have the cartels on. Why? Because they will boil people alive in pots. They will boil judges alive in pots and pour them out on the courtroom steps. And once you understand the power of horror, you can have anything you want. All right. And that's what they're talking about. That's what Milius is talking about in Apocalypse Now. The horror. You cannot civilize warfare. It's tribal. The army in Vietnam is just like the army in Afghanistan and Iraq. They want a forever war. That's never resolved, that will run forever, that people can tolerate because they're making money off of fucking contracts. It's not war. It just isn't. It's a deal. That's yeah, why and, they I, and, and I think yeah. you got I think you got out like right at the edge of that, right? Yeah, yeah. But my unit, first three two seventh, also known as Tiger Force, was involved in all this horrorism. Yeah. I think they okay. were part of probably Operation Phoenix. Yeah. Um, well, it was all classified. We didn't know about it during the time I was in. I found out about it recently once it was all declassified. Yeah, a lot of that stuff. Which it made a lot of sense once they declassified it. Like, oh, of course. Of course. Because ha, ha, they were you, already had us primed to do that kind of stuff. You know, of and course, it, a, of course, Apocalypse Now is based on Heart of Darkness. Joseph yeah, Conrad. Yeah, yeah. But have you guys ever watched Aguirre Wrath of God? Mm. I have you know what I've been meaning to get around to watching that actually. I don't think I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. Klaus Kinski, <laughs> Werner yeah. Herzog. I mean yeah. uh Coppola based Apocalypse Now a lot on that movie. Yeah. Because yeah. in that movie, Klaus Kinski plays this um Spanish conquistador that as he goes further down this river he becomes more and more insane yeah yeah and um it's i mean it's a it's basically apocalypse now yeah yeah apocalypse now is a very artistic movie that spiritually is correct all right that's the that is spiritually that's what warfare is but if you want to know what it's like actually more on the ground for an actual guy doing this you want to see a movie about another unit that was in my division. It was about the 187th. It was a movie, 187th of fucking Rakasans, uh, out of the 101st Airborne Division. And the name of the movie is called Hamburger Hill. Okay. Hamburger Hill. And, you, and it's kind of a forgotten movie, but that's more accurate. That's more realistic. It would have been like that. And the shit, the way they talked and everything is exactly the way we talked. It's the same kind of vibe. And, uh, because I remember seeing all those when I was in service and everybody during the time I was in was like, Hamburger Hill is the best one. That's the closest one. Like the most accurate. That's the accurate one. Well, Tom, you would have had, when you were there, you would have had older guys that were in Vietnam. Yes. Dude, I had squad leaders that were Contras. Contra (laughs) rebels from School of America. A lot of them. That's crazy. Yeah, a lot of my squad in my in my platoon we had four contras. They came out of School of America and they were all evacuated from that shit that was going on was at El Salvador. And, and they were Bravo, all American. Yeah. Contra went fucking bizarre too. They were they were like cutting people's heads off in in, in the field and uh, they were all they were all fucking killers. 
Jesus. But the Contras were badasses. They were good people. They were trying to fight the Sandinistas. They were anti-communists. And they were horrorists. They weren't terrorists. They were fucking horrorists. They did all that shit. Best one was Galarza. Sergeant Galarza. He was the shit, man. And he was a fucking Contra. And he had killed a couple dozen people. Most of them civilian. Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, you that's, have to kill civilians. That's 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 how r- you get it done. That's some rough shit. Well, the that, civilians are ones that are doing all the shit. <laughs> <laughs> the civilians control the military. So yeah. you have to go for the civilians that are commanding the military. You got to make them pay for the shit that they do. And it's shit like Dennis Rader does. They come in through your window and butcher you and your family while you're asleep. Take pictures of it. Do the oppression, Tom. What's that? Oh, well, you know, it's just combat. You know, sometimes it's got to be done. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right. I think on that note, guys, I think this is a good place to end this. We're going <laughs> to do, do a little Patreon segment on, okay. uh, on the uh Free state of Jones because uh, Tom has personal experience. Uh, yeah, I grew up in the free state of Jones. Grew, grew up, <laughs> actually grew up in the free state of Jones. Yeah, my uh, ancestors were in the free state of Jones. Jenny, <laughs> please tell everybody where they can find a 13 o'clock podcast. Probably easiest place. Just go to YouTube and search 13 o'clock podcast. We should pop right up. Or we also have a blog, 13 o'clock podcast.wordpress.com. And I post all the shows there. There's something for everybody. True crime, mm-hmm. paranormal, horror movies, horror books, cooking, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe music. We might get into doing that too. Like all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. All I'm kinds look- of stuff. I'm looking forward to the goth music reviews mm-hmm. from you guys. So. Yeah. We were just talking about that a few days ago. So we might start doing that one of these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for doing this. And guys, uh, can't uh, recommend these guys enough. I really enjoy their show. Strange Realities Conference. Jenny was a part of that last year. Uh, those are up and on sale. You guys can find that linked up there and also patreon.com slash conspiranormal. If you guys want to support the show, that is there as well. Thank you so much, guys. And we will be back next time on Conspiranormal. your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.